Manooch. Hey. A hundred button men on the street 24 hours a day. That Turk shows one hair on his ass, he's dead. Believe me. The Turk, he wants to talk. You got your imagine a nerve on this son of a bitch, eh? Craps out last night, he wants a meeting today. What did he say? What did he say? He wants us to send Michael to hear the proposition. And the promise is that the deal is so good that we can't refuse, eh? What about Bruno Tatari? It's part of the deal. Bruno cancels out what they did to my father. Certainly, we ought to hear what they had to say. No, 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 no more. Not this time, Consigliere. No more meetings, no more discussions, no more Salazzo tricks. You give him one message, I want Salazzo. Now that's all out war, we go to the Some match. Some of the other families won't sit still for They never hand me Salazzo. Your father wouldn't want to hear this. This is business, not personal. They shot my father. Even the shooting of your father was business, not personal, Sonny. Well, then business will have to suffer, all right? Hey, listen, do me a favor, Tom. No more advice on how to patch things up. Just help me win, please, all right? I found out about this Captain McCluskey who broke Mike's jaw. What about him? Now, he's definitely on Shalazzo's payroll and for big money. See? Now, McCluskey has agreed to be the Turk's bodyguard. What you have to understand, Sonny, is that while Shalazzo is being guarded like this, he is invulnerable. Now, nobody has ever gunned down a New York police captain, never. It would be disastrous. All the five families would come after you, Sonny. The Corleone family would be outcast. Even the old man's political protection would run for cover. So do me a favor. Take this into consideration. All right, wait. You can't wait. You can't wait. I don't care what Celeste says about a deal. He's going to kill Pop. That's it. That's the key for him. Got to get Celeste. Mike is right. Well, let me ask you something, Professor. I mean, what about this McCluskey? Huh? What do we do with this copy? They want to have a meeting with me, right? It will be me, McCluskey, and Salazzo. Let's set the meeting. Get our informers to find out where it's going to be held. Now, we insist it's a public place, a bar, a restaurant, some place where there's people so I feel safe. They're going to search me when I first meet them, right? So I can't have a weapon on me then. But if Clemenza can figure a way to have a weapon planted there for me, then I'll kill them both. <laughs> hey, what are you gonna do? Nice college boy, huh? Didn't want to get mixed up in the family business? Huh? Now you want to gun down a police captain? Why, because he slapped you in the face a little bit? Huh? What do you think, this is the army where you shoot him a mile away? You gotta get up close like this, and bing you blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. Come in. You're taking us very personal. Tom, this is business, and this man has taken it very, very personal. Where does it say that you can't kill a cop? Come on, Mikey. Tom, wait a minute. I'm talking about a cop that's mixed up in drugs. I'm talking about a, a, a dishonest cop, a crooked cop who got mixed up in the rackets and got what was coming. That's a terrific story. We have newspaper people on the payroll, don't we, Tom? They might like a story like that. They might. They just might. It's not personal, it's strictly business. 
Bruxa la luna in cielo e bruxo d'amore Fuku così consuma come lume e L'anima chiange addolorata Non si dà facile ma che mala nottata Brucia la luna in cielo e brucio d'amore Fuoco che si consuma come lume cori L'anima che angi addolorata Non si dà pace ma che mala nottata Lo tempo passa, ma non la giorna, non c'è mai soli, si da non torna. He was able to do that for a, a, a good portion of this fight, and they felt that if he got through these rounds, he was going to do well in the second half of the fight. It was not to be. It was too much for him. All we had to do was follow the damn train, DJ. Hey, Mordecai. Oh, what? Do you think I'm dumb? Yes. Okay, yeah, I thought so. I was just checking. This video...
Riley, your mom keeps trying to slip a finger in my bum, but I keep telling her I only let Jonesy's mom do that, you fucking loser. My mom would never put my finger in your bum. Mom's a fucking stink. Fuck your entire fucking oh. life, you piece of shit. Ray has gone bye-bye, he gone. What have you got left? Sorry, Beckman. I'm terrified beyond the capacity for rational thought. This is tactically dangerous. Right. Funny how? I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you, I make you laugh, I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? And now, coming to you live from a podcast studio that fell off the back of a fucking truck, it's the Uppercut to the Gut Podcast! With your hosts, the infallible D-dubs and the infamous El Guapo. All editorial comments, opinions, and are not necessarily reflective of the platform to which you are listening, you sensitive-ass mook motherfucker, you. And Uppercut to the Gut podcast, Film Talk, it's episode 18, talking just a hypothetical situation, just, this is one of those lay-up-in-bed situations where you're just... Just thinking, ah, I wonder what would happen if this uh, this character from this film and this character from this TV show had a whatever, whatever. It, it was just such a random thought one time, but it really kind of provoked and stimulated an idea here. Uh, Al Pacino, legendary actor, no doubt about it. it. It doesn't matter what he touches, it ends up just being an incredible experience. He will take whatever film he's in, or whatever, even just a cameo. He'll take it to the moon every single time. He's a rocket ship. That's what he is. We want to take a look today at so guy Al Pacino played both legendary, iconic, both iconic roles as Michael Corleone in The Godfather, uh, the Godfather uh, series, all three films, uh, and uh, and as Tony Montana in Scarface. And what would happen if Scarface met The Godfather? got into some sort of scrap or some sort because you know it's bound to happen <laughs> it would be bound to happen but before that back with the infamous El Guapo what's going on brother you got a bit of an announcement to make something uh something we didn't get a chance to cover just because we've been away for, for a week or so there what's going on on your end here oh man it's good to be back thank you very much for uh allowing me the op- cover of my material so thanks honestly man um, it's my self-titled album. It's titled El Guapo. I mean, I'll get into all the details later. But um, yeah, man, I released the album. It's been long overdue. I've been working on this fucker for about 10, 15 years. Like I said, we'll get into some more details later. But yeah. All right, brother, man. And uh, there's going to be some videos coming up here. You got uh, kind of in the works here? Um, yeah, man. Actually, I've got uh, just released a video titled No Friends for the album El Guapo video is available on YouTube the album is available on Spotify and iTunes Amazon TikTok whatever social media platform there is my shit's there I've got I've got a lot more things going on in the back end really I'm not even too concerned about El Guapo really to tell you the truth because this shit should have been out from time I know you like you've worked on singles before for those who don't know the infamous El Guapo, he's got your instrumentals, he's got your beats, he's got shit that you need to go and make a track hot, whether he builds it from the ground up or whether he goes into a vault and goes and pulls out some magic out of there. How, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you to to buy beats or to buy music, buy instrumentals, how can they reach you? How can they get a hold of you? The uh, 
the identity is guerrillaguap at gmail.com for beat inquiries. There's an Instagram for guerrillaguap spelled at guerrillaguap. Same, same shit. You can find some of my works on Instagram, uh, some of my works on YouTube for the most part. If you're interested about beats, you can hit guerrillaguap at gmail.com and I will contact you back right away. But that being said, please don't contact me about free beats because I don't fucking care who you are. That's right. Beats out for free. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's the way to be. You love it, you support it. That's what you do. <laughs> That's right. Support your fucking artistry. If you really believe in yourself, you gotta fucking pay for it. And I believe in myself that I pay other producers and other engineers. I can do all this shit myself. I just choose when and where not to, which is majority of the time because I know it's outside of my skill range. You understand? So I mean just use your fucking head. If you think that you're that you sound nice, then then invest in yourself. That's all I'm gonna say, man. Like, you're not gonna mm. get free shit. Nobody's mm. giving you free shit. All right, and on the Uppercut to the Gut podcast, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, I'm gonna be posting up a, a, that link for four beats or instrumentals. How you can go in, uh, just pretty much just what he said just now, and uh, that'll be up there a little bit later or tomorrow. Darling, until I saw you, 
I never felt this way And nobody else before you Ever has heard me say You are my one love My life I live for you I have but one heart to give to you The Godfather is an American crime movie, an absolute classic in the history of Hollywood. Welcome to the Casa Nostras. In 1945, at his daughter Connie's wedding, Vito Corleone hears requests in his role as the Godfather, the Don of a New York crime family. Vito's youngest son, Michael, who was a Marine during World War II, introduces his girlfriend, Kay Adams, to his family at the reception. Johnny Fontaine, a famous singer and Vito's godson, seeks Vito's help in securing a movie role. Vito dispatches his consigliere, Tom Hagen, to Los Angeles to persuade the obnoxious studio head, Jack Waltz, to give Johnny the part. Waltz refuses until he wakes up in bed with the severed head of his prized stallion. Shortly before Christmas, the drug baron Virgil the Turk Salazzo, backed by the D'Italia crime family, asks Vito for investment in his narcotics business and protection through his political connections. Wary of involvement in a dangerous new trade that risks alienating political insiders, Vito declines. Suspicious, Vito sends his enforcer, Luca Brazzi, to spy on them. However, a Tattaglia button man garrotes Brassi during Brassi's first meeting with Bruno, Tattaglia, and Salazzo. Later, Salazzo has Vito gunned down in the street, then kidnaps Hagen. With Corleone firstborn, Sonny in command, Salazzo pressures Hagen to persuade Sonny to accept Salazzo's deal, then releases him. The family receives fish wrapped in Brassi's bulletproof vest, indicating that Luca sleeps with the fishes. Vito survives, and at the hospital, Michael thwarts another attempt on his father's life. Michael's jaw is broken by NYPD Captain Mark McCluskey, Salazzo's bodyguard. Sonny retaliates with a hit on Bruno D'Italia. Meanwhile, Michael plots to murder Salazzo and McCluskey. On the pretext of settling the dispute, Michael agrees to meet them in a Bronx restaurant. There, retrieving a planted handgun, he kills both men. Despite a clampdown by the authorities, the five families erupt in open warfare and Vito's sons fear for their safety. Michael takes refuge in Sicily and Freddo is sheltered by Mo Green in Las Vegas. Sonny attacks his brother-in-law, Carlo, on the street for abusing his sister and threatens to kill him if it happens again. When it does, Sonny speeds to their home but is ambushed at a highway toll booth and riddled with submachine gun fire. While in Sicily, Michael meets and marries Apollonia Vitelli, but a car bomb intended for him takes her life. Devastated by Sonny's death, Vito moves to end the feuds. Realizing that the Tatalias are controlled by the now-dominant Don Emilio Barzini, Vito assures the five families that he will withdraw his opposition to their heroin business and forego avenging his son's murder. His safety guaranteed, Michael returns home to enter the family business and marry Kay, who gives birth to two children by the early 1950s. With his father at the end of his career and his brother too weak, Michael takes the family reins, promising his wife that the business will be legitimate within five years. He insists Hagen relocate to Las Vegas and relinquish his role to Vito because Tom is not a wartime conciliary. 
Vito agrees Tom should have no part in what will happen in the coming battles with rival families. When Michael travels to Las Vegas to buy a green steak in the family's casinos, their partner derides the Corleones for being run out of New York. Michael is dismayed to see that Freddo has fallen under Green's sway. Vito suffers a fatal heart attack. At the funeral, Decio, a Corleone capo, asks Michael to meet with Don Barzini, signaling the betrayal that Vito had forewarned. The meeting is set for the same day as the christening of Connie's baby. While Michael stands at the altar as the child's godfather, Corleone assassins murder the other New York Dons and Mo Green. Decio is executed for his treachery, and Michael extracts Carlo's confession to his complicity in setting up Sonny's murder for Bazzini. A Corleone capo, Clemenza, garrotes Carlo with a wire. Connie accuses Michael of the murder, telling Kay that Michael ordered all the killings. Kay is relieved when Michael finally denies it, but when the capos finally arrive, they address her husband as Don Corleone, and she watches as they close the door on her. Uh, Alright, so, film talk, Godfather versus Scarface, Michael Corleone versus Tony Montana. I, I don't think it would be... It wouldn't be fair to just go and jump into those without first going and looking at each individual film on itself. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know about you and, and your experiences with people or even yourself, but you, you always find it strange that sometimes you've got a Godfather person and you've got a Scarface person. Yeah. There's that one person that just thinks that everything that Tony Montana did right from start to finish, that's the way to be. That's the way to carry yourself. On on uh, I think it was like the uh, there was an anniversary edition DVD that I got years ago, back in like two thousand eight. Yeah, uh, I have that one too with the leather box and shit. Yes, yeah, that one there. On that one, in the bonus features, they were actually talking to you know when Oliver Stone was touring around and he was uh, hanging out with both. DEA agents and then he would go and just to do research for the film he'd hang out with DEA agents and then he'd go and hang out over in, in South America and Central America with some of the actual drug kingpins of their time back in the 80s and he said that you would see these different minds the the clean business oriented family oriented sort of psychopath on a leash and then you would go and see the wild unbuttoned shirt with the gold and the chains hanging out and and ready to start a fight with anybody anywhere in a tracksuit like just ready to go and be wild uh, <laughs> it's <is> funny <laughs> You say tracksuit right away, I just think of like, I just think it's all these bro with his fucking fat belly standing in his kitchen with his tracksuit. <laughs> in, in real life, in the streets, we do come across those folks. We did come across those folks where it's like, there's just that wild, reckless, impulsive nut and, and they're unhinged and they could do any stupid thing at any fucking minute. And then there is that in a box calm quiet sociopath and i kind of feel like that's what al pacino has covered in both of those one is clearly more intelligent than the other that's right i agree for sure lee i mean uh tony tony was the wild dog by no means did this man have any good intention in him whatsoever even with his sister he got blindsided and murdered his best friend i mean it's just you did wrong bro you're wild you did wrong that's wrong just goes to show al pacino's range as an yes, like exactly. as an actor to go and be that wild dog i mean only uh, only 10 years earlier because a lot of people don't know these films aren't that far apart 
I, I kept forgetting that too. I kept forgetting, hey, the, the Godfather was not filmed in 1947. Francis Ford Coppola, as a director, did such a good job with Mario Puzo's uh, The Godfather, which was, which was a bestseller already. Yeah. It was a bestseller in the late 50s and early 60s. But The Godfather did such a good job of being a period piece, even in its time. That we keep forgetting that it was 1971 when they they released this damn movie. It took them less than a year to go and put it together. But you go and you look at it and the range of Al Pacino, when we look at the personal development of Michael Corleone going from what he was at the beginning of the movie and almost being kind of soft and tender in a way. He was this sort of... It was like, sure, he had seen some stuff over in war, but he didn't want to be with his family. He didn't want to identify with that life with, with uh, what his uh, father and his father's business was involved in, and then he eventually finds himself dragged down that. Let's let's start. What, what was your favorite Godfather film out of all three? Uh, to tell you the truth, man, it's been a while, but uh, I, th- I would have to say I think it was two. That was, it was the big one for everybody because there was so much story. I think so, too. Like, I think I just got caught up in the dramatics, and especially at the time of cinema and film and stuff, like, there was, you know, yeah, so I think it was two. Yeah, that's right. The, the, the story was it was deep we had a parallel story like a flashback story we had Robert De Niro playing uh, Vito Corleone a young Vito Corleone on his rise to power and then we had Michael Corleone who was struggling to keep control of the thing that he'd been able to keep control of and that was his family uh, as times are changing that's right I mean, the, the whole film in itself and what Francis Ford Coppola wanted to focus on was the family aspect of it because those are the things that were changing with times. That's right. We did used to, and a lot of people did believe that it's like family was the only thing that mattered. That was it. Da-da-da-da-da. Nothing could ever go wrong with it. But then we kept, uh, the Godfather showed us that these people that are in your family are also people and they all have their individual flaws their individual problems for me it was the first film for me was was the home run the second one the sec the second one uh, really loved it very long film i mean there's two di- <laughs> there's yeah, two that was, the, that was a downside that was a downside yeah, it's it's not to watch the godfather part 2 is it's like set aside a whole afternoon be prepared to like if you like put aside a Sunday afternoon. Be prepared to stop in between and eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Like you're gonna lose a whole afternoon watching this movie. Not even that's not even the complaint. <laughs> I'm just saying you're gonna lose a whole afternoon. Uh, the Godfather still a three hour movie. A lot of crazy shit actually happened on the set of The Godfather uh, because at that time the American Mafia was they were still very tight-lipped about shit they didn't like their business talked about they didn't mind certain Hollywood representations but the most of the Hollywood representations were ridiculous and a parody of themselves yeah 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 there were actual members of the New York Five families that would send people on set to go and there was so many death threats there was a car bomb threat. There was uh, uh, there was people that would show up all the time and harass the cast and crew members. And it's amazing how when the film finally came out, it became their Bible. Wow, yeah. Part one was just a Bible for that Omerta, that Code of Silence area. I, th- I thought that was absolutely incredible. But uh, how, how, how was your feelings on the development uh, just the changes that Michael Corleone went through uh, throughout the first film. I don't know. Um, 
I think it's so it's so personal. I connect with it just in terms of family, in terms of making decisions, in terms of character, his development. I mean, I don't think there could have been anybody else who would have played it better than Al Pacino. The storyline itself was it is what it is. This is exactly why we're sitting here and we're talking about it, is because it was the first of its kind to do that and highlight that underworld, you know? And um, I think that was it. That was it for me because I just associated immediately with the underworld. I associated with this individual, Michael Corleone, the same guy who was surrounded by all these people, but really in the end, really gets fucked up. You know what I'm saying? So um, ultimately, the, well, the film leave, the film kind of leaves you at a loss for words. I have it does, yet, it does. I, I I've yet to see a film that that matches up to that same feeling. Right, that's that, exactly what I mean. Like it's hard to really put that up against anything, even Scarface. Like I can't even really, but I do just because I understand it's the same. It's the same actor. You know what I mean? But it's it's crazy. It, Godfather's its own thing. Yeah, even just. Just watching the Godfather film itself, you see Marlon. Bra- uh, I mean, they used real food. They used real everything, even yeah, for the wedding. That's crazy. Yeah, even for the wedding scene, there, there. It was not like most films were made back then, where if there's a dinner scene, you get a couple yeah. people poking, swirling their food around, having a conversation, and sticking something into their mouth, and you never really see anything. No, no. no. When you watch them drink a glass of wine. Or take a bite of something, you can almost taste what they're eating. That's how crazy, right? Like yeah, like they brought that to life. That was great. Real interesting fact: Marlon Brando is part Apache. He was part. Wow. He was part Apache Aboriginal. If anybody saw for when the Godfather won uh, an Academy Award, uh, it did win an Academy Award. Uh, Marlon Brando for for best actor. Or best supporting actor, I believe it was. It was really cool. He didn't show up himself, and he actually got a lot of flack for this. Uh, he didn't show up to the Academy Awards himself. He instead sent a representative from the Apache Nation to accept the award for him and use his slot to go and raise awareness for the plight of Aboriginal people in America. Marlon Brando in The Godfather. Michael Caine in Sleuth. Laurence Olivier in Sleuth. Peter O'Toole in The Ruling Class. Paul Winfield in Sounder. The winner is... Marlon Brando in The Godfather. Accepting the award for Marlon Brando and The Godfather, Miss Kashin Littlefeather. Hello, my name is Sasheen Littlefeather. I'm Apache and I'm president of the National Native American Affirmative Image Committee. I'm representing Marlon Brando this evening and he has asked me to tell you in a very long speech which I cannot share with you presently because of time, but I will be glad to share with the press afterwards that he very regretfully cannot accept this very generous award. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry, excuse me, (laughs) 
and on television in movie reruns, and also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I beg at this time that I have not intruded upon this evening, and that we will, in the future, our hearts and our understandings will meet with love and generosity. Thank you on behalf of Marlon Brando. Roger Moore looks stunned. I just wish I wish more people would do stuff like that. That's that's very commendable. I never even Oh no, now our now our thing is Oh my god, I can't believe Megan the Stallion didn't win. Oh my god. Really? That's your fucking thing now. Get the fuck out of here. Uh Uppercut to the Gut Podcast. We're just gonna take a quick little break. Pay some bills. Gonna be right back. Could talk a little bit more about this album, but uh, uh that the infamous El Guapo's dropping. Uh, but then right after this, we're going to go and take a look at the Scarface film. Then I want to do a little bit of a comparison between the two before we get into uh, get into that debate of, of who would win in that fight. All right. See anyone move against you first. He'll set up a meeting with someone that you absolutely trust. Guaranteeing your safety. And at that meeting, you'll be assassinated. I like to drink wine more than I used to. Anyway, I'm drinking more. It's good for you, Pop. I don't know. Your wife and children, are you happy with them? Very happy. That's good. I hope you don't mind the way I... I keep going over this Bassini business. No, not at all. It's an old habit. I spend my life trying not to be careless. Women and children can be careless, but not men. How's your boy? He's good. You know, he looks more like you every day. He's smarter than I am. Three years old, he can read the funny papers. Read the funny paper. Uh, I want you to arrange to have a telephone man check all the calls that go. You know, I did it already, Pop. You know, good man. I took care of that. Oh, that's right. I forgot. What's the matter? What's bothering you? I'll handle it. I told you I can handle it. I'll handle it. I knew that Santana was going to have to go through all this. And Fredo... Fredo was... And I never, I never wanted this for you. I worked my whole life. I don't apologize to take care of my family. And I refused to be a fool. Dancing on the string held by all those big shots. I don't apologize, that's my life. But I thought that 
I wonder it was your time that the Jew would be the one to hold the strings. Senator Corleone, Governor Corleone, something. Another person of Anta. Well, this wasn't enough time, Michael. Wasn't enough time. We'll get there, Pop. We'll get there. Now listen, whoever comes to you with this Barzini meeting, he's a traitor. Don't forget that.
make him an offer he can't refuse. What makes a man change? Each of us are on our own individual path, but the beauty and complexity of life is that we don't know where this path we're on is going to lead us. We have aspirations, expectations, plans, but we are also prisoners to circumstance. You may have it in you to become so many different types of people, but as each of life's many tests are thrown at you with every decision that's made, the options slowly narrow down to make you the precise version of yourself that exists today. Did these experiences make you who you are or simply reveal who you were all along? Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather is hailed as one of the greatest movies of all time. At three hours long, the film is more of a rich tapestry that unfolds over many years than it is a simple crime caper. It's a story about family, loyalty, business, life and death and how they all intertwine. It places us behind the closed doors of the Corleone family business, a business that the youngest son, Michael Corleone, wants nothing to do with. So how does Michael go from this... That's my family, Kay. It's not me. ...to this... But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Ever. How can a man end up in a role that no one else wished for him, that he didn't even wish for himself? Let's examine the stages of transformation for Michael Corleone throughout The Godfather, part one. In this world, people don't have choices. They merely have the illusion of choice, as these decisions aren't made in a vacuum. There is always coercion involved. I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. The Corleone family tree looks like this. Vito Corleone resides at the top, father to four children, adopted father to Tom Hagen, and godfather to Johnny Fontaine. One of these children will have to take over the family business. The eldest, Sonny, is first in line, Fredo, second in line, and Michael, third in line. But Vito had other plans for Michael. Michael is a former Marine. He's not involved in the family business, having chosen his own separate path. For a family as close as the Corleones, Michael's distance makes him something of an outsider. When we meet him in stage one, he has five key qualities. He's an outsider, a war hero, intelligent, honest, and loyal to his girlfriend Kay. His father envisioned Michael becoming a senator for the family to one day have real links to real clean power. That was always Vito's aspiration. But life had other plans. The Corleone business was centered mostly around olive oil, but in the 1940s, organized crime was about to dip its toe into the drug business. Vito, clasping to his vision for the future, rejects the idea of getting involved in narcotics, as they destroy lives, and it would make the business dirtier and turn society and the law against them. For Vito, there is no price he could conceivably pay to get involved with drugs. But for others, the money is simply too tempting, and when Sonny shows some interest in it during a meeting, a hit is put out on Vito, as once he is cleared out of the way, there is no one to object to the expanding market of narcotics. Everything in The Godfather is always viewed as simply business. This is business, not personal! They shot my father at business Even the shooting of your father was business, not personal, Sonny! As much as Michael likes to see himself as an outsider, the moment he hears about his father's shooting, he rushes back to his family, who have felt his distance. Michael, why are you 
As much as he sees himself as his own man, perhaps thinking he's above it all, his father has always shared a different attitude. Because a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. His girlfriend Kay was a big priority to him in college, but now Michael's focus has shifted. He can't even see a future with her anymore. When will I see you again, Michael? I don't know. As his vision for the future was dependent on his family's maintenance. He realizes he was somewhat ignorant to expect that to always be secured, but in one swift action, everything changes. This catalyzes stage two. Michael is now an insider, a war hero, intelligent, honest, and loyal to his family. As a former Marine, Michael understands the language and strategies of war more than his brothers. He arrives at the hospital and discovers his father's guards are absent, meaning there is only a matter of minutes before a rival family comes to finish the job. Being right in the middle of the threat emotionally attaches Michael to his role in the family more and more, as he realizes that without him, his family is at real risk of losing its power. He had always taken the family business for granted, but once it's a matter of life or death for his loved ones, his training kicks in, and he begins to realize that there is a role for him here. After spooking away the potential killers, the police arrive, and the corrupt cop McCluskey punches Michael for intervening. This teaches Michael that corruption can exist within any power structure, that if the cops can wrongly leverage the law against their family, then what good was the law? This one evening visibly changes Michael. Whatever he had envisioned for his future was perhaps built on false assumptions. This triggers Michael into stage three. He's now an insider, but no longer a war hero, now becoming an active soldier. He remains intelligent, but his honesty is now replaced with moral ambiguity, but he remains loyal to his family. As an outsider coming in, Michael sees the way the game is played very differently to those that are on the field. For his brother Sonny or Tom, they view these decisions as just business. You're taking this very personal. Tom, this is business and this man has taken it very, very personal. But what is more personal than business when it's a family business? Michael offers to make a sacrifice for his family that only he can make. He will take out the man who organized his father's shooting and the crooked cop that tried to finish the job, and then he'll simply disappear. In his mind, as an outsider, he can slip out of the family and the business can continue without him, whereas his brothers have families or loyalties to the business, so they're not so easily removed. Looking at the family tree, Sonny is first in line, but he's a bit of a hothead. He makes decisions based on impulse, rarely considering the long game. Fredo is just a party boy. He's in it for the women and the good times. He's not a trained killer whereas Michael is a Marine, and far more calculated than his brothers. So he's the best person to send in for this job. This moment changes Michael's life and his family's trajectory in a way he could never imagine. And rarely can we see a man think through the potential consequences of his actions more than in his final seconds before the shooting. Michael's many potential paths not yet taken shut down due to this decision. His actions trigger a mob war, so he lays low in Sicily, finding a new wife and getting in touch with his family's roots. For a man who always viewed himself as something of a prodigal son, he is now deeply ingrained in his true identity. 
This new life Michael has made for himself becomes a warm and welcome reality. His life has a renewed sense of meaning after he expresses his loyalty to his family through sacrifice. Whereas he used to make decisions that would keep as many roads open as possible for him as an individual outside the family, shutting out those possibilities allows for him to focus his concentration on what he has left. Back in New York, Sonny is in charge of the family business while Vito heals, and it's stressful. Everyone is on edge as Sonny is too easily manipulated by his emotions. And this weakness proves fatal after Sonny rushes to defend his sister from her abusive husband and gets murdered. The family now lacks leadership. And as much as Michael enjoys his alternative life in Sicily, you cannot hide from your past. It follows you everywhere you go. And just after discovering his brother has been killed, his wife Apollonia is wiped out in a car bomb. That bomb symbolically destroying the last alternative road for Michael to take in life. His fate is now sealed, his family needs him, and he finds true meaning in his loyalty to them. This catalyzes stage four. He's promoted from insider to leader of the family business. He's not a soldier on the field, but a general. But he remains morally ambiguous, intelligent, and loyal to his family. Vito calls for a truce in the mob war. He was once convinced that there was no price he would ever pay to let this change take place, but the pain of losing his own son was too much for him to bear, so he allows narcotics to become a part of the business, showing that his loyalty lies with his family's safety. Vito is too resistant to change, and that stubbornness nearly cost him his own life, and did cause the loss of his son. In a world where everything is just business, not personal, Vito had expected his personal values to prevent the business from growing. When Michael returns, he knows who he is and what he wants. He meets up with Kay again, who is surprised by the changes she sees in him. I thought you weren't going to become a man like your father. Michael still loves the version of him that exists in Kay's mind. She's unaware of what he has done or who he has lost. There's a purity to Kay's perception of Michael. She symbolizes those other roads not taken, who he could have been. So he hides his sins from her, but still wants her in his inner circle, as that's the only group he can remain loyal to. Vito compares this harsh reality to what he had envisioned with Michael, giving him some life-saving advice about how to spot the traitor in the family and he then passes away, making Michael the head of the family, as well as the easiest target in the city. Now the five families can simply eliminate him and become four families. But just as Vito would eventually cave on his own values to protect his family when it came to drugs, Michael too would have to sacrifice in order to protect those that he is now responsible for. He is no longer the kid brother at the wedding, benefiting from the world his father had built for him. Now he is the safeguard for the entire family. Vito's dream for the future dies with him, and now Michael is left in charge. So as he attends his nephew's baptism, he organizes the murder of the heads of all the other crime families in the city. There's no mercy, as he has seen what these families were willing to take from him in order to preserve their business. So if that's the case, he has learned that having personal values is a weakness not a strength. 
he eliminates every threat in his family's way, including his sister Connie's husband Carlo, for betraying Sonny. Connie is devastated, but there can be no weak links in the family anymore, not after what he just pulled. This solidifies stage five in Michael's transformation. The leader of the family, a war general, dishonest, ruthless, and loyal only to his family. Kay is shocked by the accusation that Michael had Carlo killed and asks him if it's true. Is it true? He looks her right in the eye, the same eye that views him as the same man she met before all of this began in stage one. No. And he lies to her. She's initially relieved, reminded of the man she first met, but when she walks outside and looks back, it dawns on her that he isn't just Michael anymore. He is now Don Corleone. And as that door closes, the final version of Michael Corleone, the version that existed only in Kay's eyes, dies. And the audience is left to question, did he choose this life? Or did life simply make him an offer he couldn't refuse?
solely on the field. That's a common misconception. Battles are won within. Over enemies of fear, enemies of doubt. In that place where promises are kept. Self. Promises to one's community. Promises to one's country. In the heart of every Marine, you'll find a promise. A promise forever kept. A promise of battles won.
Uppercut to the Gut podcast here with the infamous El Guapo. Film talk today. I've just discussed The Godfather a little bit now. The other contender in that fucked up war. <laughs> Tony Montana taking a look at, you know, Al Pacino, legendary actor, played both roles, played both roles roles very well. They're two iconic films, iconic for their own reasons, in their own rights, in their own time. Tell me a time when you haven't gone to some dealer's house and there's a Scarface poster on the wall. And, and what we were talking about a little bit earlier is you're either a Godfather person or a Scarface person. That's a real tough line to toe because like we said, the Godfather, Don Corleone or Vito Corleone, whoever, whether it be as Marlon Brando or whether it be as Michael, uh, as Michael Corleone uh, via uh, Al Pacino, He's got that smoothness. He's got that intelligence. It's undeniable. Tony Montana has got the balls to go up against really anything. He's not. He's either too stupid or too crazy or too wild or has just got the imp- the impulse control problem. The film itself, Scarface. What are your thoughts? I mean, geez, how do you un- even unpack that? Uh, honestly, bro, uh, I will say that I am first said I am a Scarface guy. Now that being said, I am not. I'm not fucking stupid. So uh, <laughs> Tony did a great job of highlighting what it is to be a hyena on the fucking plains when you have to scavenge. He did it so well that he amassed himself this fortune. But unfortunately, we all know what his downfall was. You know. According to the script, according according to the script, from the time that he arrived in Miami until the time of his death at the end of the film, uh, apparently only two years had passed in that entire time. He hadn't even he hadn't even had a chance to establish a routine because he lived such a fast life. Absolutely, and let me tell you because I understand too. I've been there. When that shit's coming in that fast, and you're spending it just the same way, it it there. Two years is more than enough. More than enough. Um, that being said, it's just unfortunate, you know, this motherfucker just couldn't slow down a little bit, bro, and stretch it out a few years. Right. You know, fuck, fuck. It seems like there was a particular point where it was just really avoiding making some smaller, uh, some smaller decisions. Even at the halfway point, kind of past the rise to power montage. Okay, so Frank is dead. Now uh, there's that push it to the limit. Yeah, you got all that shit going. The bags of money are going in and out of the bank. And he's got this mansion. He's got this sort of dream lifestyle prior to even the bathtub scene, which just goes to show that it was the pinnacle of his opulence. (laughs) But, But in the lead up to that, there's that one meeting that he has with the banker. Him and Manny are having the meeting with the banker in his office, and, and he's saying, just stay with us. Don't be a schmuck, but I can't take any more of your money, Tony. And he's like, fuck you, I'll take it to the cameras. He's just going off on, trying to just go in and be as greedy as he possibly can. He did not, yeah, he did not want to pay for anything. He didn't want to have to grease any palms. He was not about that. He was not about the, the legitimizing aspect. Whereas it seemed like his predecessor that he killed off, Frank, who had a car dealership, who wanted to just, you know, dabble a little bit. If you really look at it, Frank was actually doing it correct. He had the dealership. He had the nightclub shares. He had properties. He had all kinds of shit. And it was in order. He had time to run a... Yeah, he had time as a Miami drug lord to run a little league team for fuck's sakes. (laughs) 
So if he did that, we see that Frank kept it in a box. He was compartmentalized. Tony was just, let's let whatever happen, happen. And um, that's where I, I find that throughout the story, I was kind of upset that, that he did this to Frank. But I understand why he did it to Frank, because Frank ended up, you, you want to snitch him up. So anyways, but like, just Frank had it on point. All Tony had to do was just come in and squeeze Frank out and just continue things, you know, but it just didn't work out like that. This guy was lacking the business, the business ethics. He had no idea on structure. He had no idea that if you pay for a service, you will get something in return. He had no idea about that because he just came from the bottom and he just scrapped his whole fucking life. He scrapped, scrapped, never share. You don't share. No, we don't share. I'm not trying to pay you for shit. No, I'm not trying to give you shit. No, I'm just take your shit. I'm mm-hmm. take your shit too, you know? Mm-hmm. So. That almost Scarface is literally a cautionary tale about impulsive behavior and what not to do in the drug game. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, but it's weird because, like I said, you're either a Godfather person or a Scarface person. In terms of a personality, we've got a lot of folks out there that really do think that you go, you get, you get into the streets, you get into the game, you you you, you follow the, the you know the slum rules, you follow those old desperate slum rules of clawing your way and stepping on everything that you possibly can. Who gives a fuck about the heat? And just accomplishing as fast as possible what Tony Montana accomplished. But then it was what Tony said again, same meeting right after that banker left. He said, "We're not hungry anymore." You know, he says, we're not hungry anymore. He's talking about, it's like, they have they have everything there. That dinner scene, that that incredible dinner scene. Is this it? Is this it? Uh, that's why yeah. we're talking. Fuck. That whole scene was fucking, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what a scene. Apparently, so in that restaurant scene, he was so convincing that there was people on set, because they filmed it at an actual restaurant, People on set were actually calling the cops. They were really authentically concerned and taken back by what they were witnessing here, even though they knew they were on the set of a film. Like, how convincing can you be? Plus, Al Pacino sitting in a room full of guns in the dark prior to his final shootout scene. I I mean, uh, again, the accolades have to be given to, to Al Pacino for the range, for the commitment, for the dedication to his craft. That is... a that is a man that is just so overwhelmingly convincing. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Every film that I've seen of him, I am a fan of, or I have, I have become a fan of. I mean, this guy can touch, if he can touch like a computer nerd hacker to a, uh, an author to Scarface to Corleone, I mean... Wow, the range right there is it's that very dynamic. He is just that guy. He's that guy. Any given Sunday. It was one of my favorites for a long time. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> just a stressed fire. out alcoholic Miami NFL style coach. Just fucking love it. Love it. It's for every inch we gotta fight for that inch. Oh! <laughs> just fucking You That's just great. sit I mean that that speech that speech prior to the final game there. Yeah, that was just like uh, I. I think that like you just got to play that every morning. When yeah, you... that that is motivational <laughs> speech for the day. That's right. Yep, that's right. Yep. F- fuck looking in the mirror and and saying affirmations, all this positive shit. Just go yeah. play Al Pacino's speech from any given Sunday. 
goddamn. You know what's fucked is I actually have a little a little thing on on my wall when I brush my teeth. <laughs> I got some affirmations too. You gotta brush every inch, you fuck. <laughs> you fucking floss. You get the fucking scope. What do you think you're fucking doing? Yeah, there, there, <laughs> there it is. It's got to be it. Uh, and it, it's strange too because, like, because uh, I mean, just Al Pacino in general. Take any role when he played the lawyer in *And Justice for All*. Yeah. E- even yeah. that film, which was very different from what we were used to seeing with him, it was so much. It was such a softer role, but again, he had that iconic moment in the yes. courtroom, throwing the chair, just throwing the chair. Freaking out of the judge. No, you're out of order. You're out of order. This whole system's out of order. Just the way he goes. Uh, Serpico as well. When he played the, uh, the 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 cop in New York, uh, the undercover yeah. cop investigating dirty cops, and and it's that like was the first time I had ever heard about him. And he was like fresh faced. He looked like like Bruce Springsteen and shit. Like he was young and shit. He was, and Diane Keaton was also in that film. Like those two have been good friends for a long time since the uh, since the Godfather. But that was the they had worked together there. They they've worked together so many times. I love it when the two of them get together for any reason because they've been such good friends that even just seeing a conversation between these two, uh, Vanity Fair had some interview uh, like a webisode video with them and uh, the stories they had to tell about just this period of. time time where it's like there's there's actors that are long gone and dead already like rick castellano they're talking about him they're talking about all kinds of characters from like yesteryear up until today and the interactions that they've had with people uh, and it was absolutely another good one with pacino uh heat oh bro i was just about to mention Heat. definitely definitely heats up there one of the the most accurate for a for a for a bank heist scenario one of the most accurate shootouts you're ever going to see the way the glass shatters the sound of the rifles the sound of the carbine they nailed everything i mean everything the production nailed the film down but of course once again al pacino just takes it to the fucking moon so when we go and we take a look at something like scarface going and looking at his rise and fall is is very different from the rise and fall of michael corleone here we got somebody that again lasted only a couple of years, few years tops in his in what his character was doing. Whereas we got the Godfather, who again lasted several decades as boss. He had a forty-year run as the head of the family. Uh, ends up becoming in part three, which I felt that the Godfather part three is a very misunderstood film. Uh, it's very, very misunderstood, and a lot of people don't. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that that was. So, if the Godfather was about the Omerta era. That's that code of silence era where it was your family and your cousin, and somebody married into your family, and you brought them into your business, and then you guys protected your business. Balls to the wall, back against wall, whatever. Nobody's gonna come fuck with it. Uh, uh, you expanded your sphere of influence. That's how we ended up with things like the New York Five families. Uh, the Godfather Part Two was this sort of change. It was a transition where we went from the old being overthrown by the young, and the young taking over and moving ahead into the future. The new bosses of the of the late sixties and early seventies. This is where a good break. Uh, I would recommend if you really want to understand the mafia as well uh, and understand how times have changed, is to watch The Godfather, watch The Godfather Part 2, then watch Goodfellas. 
Watch good, watch Goodfellas, and then watch The Godfather Part Three. If you watch those four films stacked like that, if you ever get the chance to go and do it, you're suddenly going to go and understand The Godfather Part Three a whole hell of a lot more than than you would if you just watched the three of the films back to back at some point. Because you really go and you see that there's this street element again, and that the old ways of doing things are really gone. You see that there is this this drug riddled, alcohol riddled, greedy, uh, the the wise guy. It was the rise of the wise guy that uh, we, we've all heard that term. Hey, this guy is being a wise guy. No, no, being a wise guy meant that yeah, yeah. This guy's being mouthy to the point that it's like he thinks he's untouchable. That's why he's talking like that, and, and that's when we have that uh, the Goodfellas era where we have that people dying over dice games. People dying over card games. Hey, Spider. Hey, Spider, why don't you get me a drink, Spider? <laughs> Fuck sakes, bro. You know, honestly, I, I just, I wish, I know this is kind of like off, but I wish that they would make a Soprano film. There's one coming. But like with the original cast and they can't because Tony's done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's only James Gandolfini is, is yeah. missing, but The Many Saints of Newark is coming uh, I believe this year, sometime in the winter, uh, I, there there was a tra- uh, a trailer for the first time, like a full, complete trailer just dropped, and I was floored by it. Nice. I was floored by it. Uh, James Gandolfini's son plays yeah. himself when he's younger. You should oh, see shit. this guy. Oh yeah, he looks. Ju- he looks like it, this is what's crazy. James Gandolfini Jr. looks yeah. like, if you remember AJ. Yeah, yeah. The guy who played AJ on this Sopranos, he looks like a genetic blend of James Gandolfini and the the guy that played AJ. Wow, that's crazy. It's perfect. He couldn't be wow. perfectly cast. It couldn't be more appropriate. His acting is on point from what I've seen so far from this trailer. Um, there's been uh, a lot of the original cast has been on set because they were consulted. Uh, they were consulting for younger versions of themselves. Perfect. Dominic Kinese was there, and he was speaking about the cast and what he was seeing being done. It is David Chase, who yeah. was the executive producer, writer, and, and creator, uh, along with Matthew uh, Matthew Wine. I forget his last name there. But uh, David Chase is all over this. So you have the original production and the original writing cast. That Sopranos era would be the next chapter, actually. That would be the next chapter after The Godfather Part 3 uh, because all of the mob was rounded up or killed off at some point in real life. And we kind of had this spance through the 90s where there was no leadership. And then we had something that the FBI is called the Class of 2004, which is where some of the guys from the 80s, that sort of Goodfellas era, they were coming out of jail. At the same time, you had this new generation. The new that, blood. That's yes, yes. If you were a kid or a teenager in the 80s and you were in that scene in New Jersey, in Newark, in Yonkers, in New York, Kansas City, you came up watching those wise guys be wild and crazy and now you are sort of exacting that. So uh, again, that would be the order to go and take a look. Would be Godfather Part 1, 2, watch Goodfellas, watch Godfather Part 3 and throw in the Sopranos for, for fucking kickers. 
that that is that is the best way to go and sum up the history of mafia in film without a without a shadow of a doubt, and and it, it'll make sense if you follow it. I in that order. love it. You know why I love it though. I, honestly, I love it is because it all took place in our time. For fuck's sakes, it was great. It's great. Love it. It love did. It. it did. But now, yeah. So we were mentioning Tony Montana is sort of the cautionary tale. Don't do what this guy is doing. Because this this just doesn't work. This just doesn't work. But you could. So, you could. So basically here, honestly, man, um, my heart was with Tony. But my mind was with Michael. You know? Yes. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like I wanted to, you know, but like my inner rage, you know, wanted to like let out and be Tony my whole <laughs> life. But, you know, I can't accomplish anything with that mindset or that attitude. You just can't, plain and simple, man. So you need to adjust yourself. You can use some of those strengths in your Michael. You know what I mean? And I think that's just ultimately what I transitioned into. I used to be Tony, and I transitioned into Michael. And I'm just, I'm fucking loving Michael right now. I'm comfortable (laughs) over here. You know what I mean? I love it. Absolutely. And, 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 And again, that's the thing. It's like both had a rise and fall, but for very different reasons. One was, I mean, I mean, one died of a as an old lonely man that just drinks until he falls over, and the other was just this glorious shootout. I, I kind of think though that the fascination with Tony Montana and the idea of going out in a blaze of glory really speaks to really speaks to a masculine desire to just be like, I don't want to die like no pussy. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down fighting. He did. I'm just saying it was just totally avoidable. Just don't piss off the, I mean, don't piss off the Colombian guy. <laughs> don't put, right. don't piss right. off so, so. I think in a lot of ways, Tony Montana was um, the Doc Holliday. But like, he was. <laughs> 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 you know, oh, like yeah. Holiday. Yeah. So. Well said. He was that, well said. Good comparison. Note the guy that played uh, the guy that played Sosa. Oh, Sosa. The act, uh, but the the act, Paul Schinner. Okay, so Paul yes. Paul Schinner is who played Sosa uh, um, yeah. in in Scarface. That that just before the Hit Squad comes was uh, his acting was on point too because we saw this guy that was calm most of the time, oh, and then yes. when it sounded like he was about to cry, there was like, I told you not to fuck me, you little oh, monkey. Man. That there, there's Honestly, like just one of the best things ever. I couldn't believe that Tony had pissed this man off. Oh. Where he was vibrating and shaking on the phone, you know, because we had never seen him like that, right? And uh, Tony's just like, okay, you want to go to war? Uh, fuck, who you got a little monkey? <laughs> like, fucking little monkey. And he just walked into that monkey comment. Like, he just set himself oh, up for that shit by behaving that way. Did you ever get a chance to, it It, it was It was kind of a hard play because it, I felt it wasn't 100%, tr- it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily 100% true to the original source material. But way back in the day, did you ever get a chance to play Scarface, The World Is Yours for PlayStation 2? Um, I did briefly uh, on a friend's PlayStation, and uh, I didn't have enough experience to give you an, any honest feedback. I just was in love with the game because you could just run around and be Tony Montana and shoot shit. You know what I mean? So, like, that's all I did. I, just I played... 
I played that shit. That might have been one of the first games ever because we didn't have trophies back then. We didn't have the little achievements or anything. I was a 100% completionist on that game. They knew what they were doing. They gave you a little bit of it. Like uh, it, it, it felt like like Grand Theft Auto had suddenly just been transported into an Oliver Stone film. That's all that really, it's what it really felt like. But when I went and I took a look at it, uh, I remember wondering, like, how do you even do this? Like, is it just going along with the movie? Just like what we're about to get into here, it was a hypothetical situation. What would happen if in the middle of the shootout scene, Tony turns around doesn't drop his gun and blows away the assassin that blew him away. Yeah, yeah. It's just a matter of a little bit of awareness. Now the thing is is as soon as you take control of Tony, the player, you you know that he's there. You we know how the film ends, so it's now just up to you or else you keep losing the game. It's an instant game over. It's up to you to turn around and get rid of your own assassin. And it was this sort of rebuilding process Al Pacino lent his voice, his likeness, they had all the original cast uh, that hadn't been blown away at some point or another, and even in some flashback scenarios. Uh, they're, they're, they, they had, you know, they had Eddie Bauer. They had the, the full cast and, and, and a play on, on a lot of shit. Incredible Easter eggs. Uh, just lots of little nods to the film. I didn't like that there, there was they did the kind of horde thing where you have to like kill wave after wave after wave after wave of, of gangland in order to take control of a territory or an area of, of Miami and then you got to go and do these drops for drugs and shit and there's these boat drops and before you know it you then have to fly to Jamaica come back <laughs> come back with with all these packages and shit and cash and then sell it, then go to a bank to deposit your money and that's how you save your progress. The the game got into it. That's It was the existence of the game that this conversation came about is those hypotheticals. Now, once again, we've given Al Pacino his... Uh, we've given Al Pacino his, uh, his dues. We've given The Godfather and Scarface their dues. Up next... The Great Debate, Tony Montana versus Michael Corleone. Who wins and why? We'll be right back. You what? You made a deal for a fucking $18 million without even checking with me? Are you crazy, Montana? Are you crazy? Oh, you're Frank. Take it easy. Hang on my ass. At 10-5, a key is portal. You can't lose money. No way. We make 75 million on this deal, Frank. 75 million. That is serious money. What the fuck is Sosa going to do when I don't come up with the first five million? What's he going to do? Is he going to send me a bill? He's going to send a fucking hit squad up here, that's what. There's going to be a war in the street. Relax. Take it easy. I'm in tight with Sosa. You short a couple of mil, I go on the street for you. I make a couple of moves, a mill here, a mill there, you got it, okay? Oh, you make a move, on your own, huh? I got ears, Gerald. I hear things. Yeah? 
do we hear about Javier? The Diaz brothers. What about them? What about Gaspar Gomez? What is he going to do when you start moving 2,000 kids? Fuck Gaspar Gomez! And fuck the fucking Diaz brothers! Fuck them all! I buried those cockroaches! What do they ever do for us? Look, Frank, time has come. We gotta expand the whole operation. Distribution. New York, Chicago, LA. We gotta set our own mark and enforce it. We gotta think big now. Think big. Like your friend, Sosa. Let me tell you something about that greaseball cocksucker. He is a snake, that's what he is. You turn back on him. You stick it in. You don't trust a guy like that. You want me to believe Omar was a stolen because Sosa said so? You bought that line. Maybe I made a mistake sending you down there. Maybe you and Sosa know something I don't know. Like what? Like what? You tell me, like what? You call me a liar. Why? Now what you call me? Let's just say, uh, I want things to stay the way they are, for now. You stole your deal with Sosa. Stole it. Okay, boss. Come on. I am the boss. Sure, you're the boss. Hey, Tony. Remember I told you when you started, the guys who last in this business are the guys who fly straight, low-key, quiet, and the guys who want it all, chicas, champagne, flash, they don't last. You finish?
Out of all the accomplishments of Scarface, perhaps its biggest is how it makes the audience sympathize with a character like Tony Montana. Director Brian De Palma and screenwriter Oliver Stone do a lot to make us care for Tony despite his horrendous actions. And then make us root for his demise. For example, less than 12 minutes into the movie, he murders an unarmed man, Emilia Rabenga. It would be hard to justify this in any way, yet the film manages to do it. For one thing, we learn that Emilia was a former aide to Fidel Castro and used his power to hurt and murder others. But while he was on top, he tortured a few guys to death. And one of the guy's brother is a rich guy in Miami now. But even more than that, we see the horrid conditions that Tony is forced to live in. This ties in with the film's main message about the American dream. Tony shows that he is willing to do whatever is necessary to get out of the dehumanizing conditions that he is stuck in. His actions are extreme, but he's also in an extreme situation. Having this as our introduction to the character could prove to be a real problem and make the audience dislike Tony, yet they're forced to spend the next two and a half hours with him. But the opposite happens. His willingness to do what is necessary to make his way out of a bad situation is what we're drawn to. It's comparable to what I spoke about in my video on A Clockwork Orange. Alex's actions may be disgusting and deplorable, yet they're what makes him human. And the same applies to Scarface as well. We're drawn to someone who works hard and tries to accomplish his goals, and early on in the film he finds success. We learn that he is someone who has nothing to lose and everything to gain. Just remember last year this time we were in a fucking cage, okay? He is someone who came from nothing. His mere existence in the United States is infinitely better than where he was just months earlier. This is why he's willing to risk his own life. To him, it means very little, because he has yet to experience anything that is truly good. Of course, his mere existence isn't good enough for him. He is exposed to wealth and success and wants it for himself. He is willing to do anything and will pull the strings that are necessary for him to find the success that he wants. It's this drive that we as the audience are drawn to, along with the justification for the horrendous actions, is enough for him to win us over. He also is loyal and has a set of morals, and at least early on, it's apparent that he cares for his friends and his accomplices, it cost my friend Angel his life. at least the ones who care for him. He risks his own life and his own safety to ensure that the wife and the children of the target stay alive. I tell you, no fucking kiss! No, but you wouldn't listen. But then we see his true nature, or maybe his true nature changes. His relationship with his sister Gina is also used to show the decline of his morals over the course of the film. Early in the film, when he is first finding success, he chooses to give money to his mother and sister, even though they turn their back on him. He cares for them, and part of what he applies his immorality to is ensuring the betterment of others. But then things start to change, and the film uses Gina to show Tony's decline. The more that he gets, the more that he wants. He's no longer trying to give to others. He wants everything for himself. And that includes Gina. Now, I'm not a psychologist. I don't want to dive too far into speculation. But I will say there are three interactions he has with her. The aforementioned positive one, but they very quickly go downhill from there. He next sees her when they're both in the same club together. 
He's no longer working, instead living off of the money that he gave her, essentially making him part of the reason for her change. He's very jealous of the man that she is with, and like I said earlier, I don't want to try and be too interpretive, but I always took this to be him feeling protective over her. This is the turning point both in his relationship with her, but also when it comes to his empire. Things start to go astray, and his life spins into chaos. The chaos has fully consumed him by the time that he meets Gina again. Upon learning about her loving relationship with Manny, a relationship that he helped start, he kills Manny. Any loyalty that he had for Manny disappeared, and he disregards Gina completely, leading to her eventual death. His drive ultimately becomes his downfall. His time in America showed him the best way to become successful, just to work hard and never stop, that enough is never enough. But that's not true. Eventually, he finds monetary success and starts to live the life that he knew that he always wanted to. But he never really appreciated the life, he always wanted more. His pride and his greed leads to his downfall, and his inability to change while the world changes around him causes his eventual death. I felt that what I started out trying to do with that character, I picked the two dimensions, not three dimensions for this character. This side and that side. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed. I really love Scarface. It's easy to write it off as just a cool movie, but it really is so much more than that. De Palma's style can be found all throughout the movie, and he uses it to help add substance to the story. in the other car. She did, boss. She did, every fucking day. <coughs> I don't know what's going on. Hey, hey, no fucking way. Hey, no fucking way. That's it. Obedeço. Madame, você tá tipo solo. Sem mulher e sem erro. Se só se diz que lo hagamos agora, lo hacemos agora. Vamos. This fucking guy.
cariño. Ahora está bien, quédate aquí. Despacio. Despacio. Fuck you, you fucking vulture. Ok. Con calma. Do a little kiss in the car. This is so fucking bad. This is so fucking bad. Los estás perdiendo, mira. Los estás perdiendo. Ok, I see him, alright? I see him. 10 metros. 10 metros. Muévete. Muévete. Okay, shut the fuck up, ok? What you think I have, huh? What you think I have fucking worm like you? I told you, man. I told you, don't fuck with me. I told you, no fucking kids. No, but you wouldn't listen. Why, right, you stupid fuck? Look at you now. Uppercut <laughs> to the Gut Podcast. Back here with the infamous El Guapo film talk. The hypothetical. Now we're gonna get into that debate. So let's for a moment picture to- Michael Corleone. Uh, of the Godfather, I'm going to suggest somewhere between, I'm, I'm going to actually suggest at the end of the Godfather Part 2, where he had really decided to embrace his his criminal enterprise. Yes. He had really decided to embrace being the Don. His distractions were gone. He kicked K out for the, yep. uh, for the abortion. He had just killed his brother. He's living with the guilt and the anger of that, but anybody can go. He was even ready to go and get rid of Tom Hagen at one point. He, he, he proposed that. He's like, why don't you just take your you, you and your mistress and move over here while I go and do these things. Are you coming along with me for these? He was very stern. He was very strict. He was very straightforward. Still intelligent, but not impulsive. Picturing that in his prime, Michael Corleone, versus the prior to cocaine fucking up Tony Montana. What do you think happened? First, let's go with something a little more simple. Michael Corleone and Tony Montana are sitting at a table. Okay. What does that conversation look like? It it looks like straight up Tony's asking him, what the fuck do you want? (laughs) And right away, Michael sees it as disrespect. You don't, like, we we don't communicate like that. I know you don't mean it, but I'm just letting you know. Don't communicate like that because that's not who I am. And I think Tony then goes, "You, you know fucking what? think you're talking to." I don't know who the fuck you think you are, but I don't have to do that shit. So then Michael goes, "Well, then you know, then this is over. Then it's done." And he gets up and respectfully fixes his his blazer, fixes his cuffs, and turns around and walks away. And and his men follow him. You know, like that's how it plays out. And Tony's sitting there. And he's upset, and he's tapping his cigar at the same table that him and Sosa were at. You know what I mean? And 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 he's just upset, and he's stewing. And right there, the camera zooms in on Tony's face. Cut next scene. Very interesting. Very interesting. They both kind of go their separate ways. Okay, 
Uh, I, I don't I, think it ends there. I, oh no, that's a, that's oh a no, no. I think I think that would I think that that would be the I think that that would be the jump off as to how they would even get into a conflict if it came to that. Right. There's exactly. a there's a part of me that wants to think that Michael would just simply avoid. He would just avoid any interaction. Yeah, that's right too. You're absolutely. He right. might you say, you know what? That individual is somebody that I don't associate with. No. Yeah, it's just it's just I'm not going to associate with it because I I know what it's about. We know that he has Michael Corleone has the means to gather intel rather quick, legal intel, background checks, street history. He's able to go in and go and utilize his circle and his assets to go and find out anything he wants about anybody. And we've seen him use that to exact revenge. There's actually a deleted scene from The Godfather Part 2. If you remember in The Godfather, his first wife, Apollonia, got blown up uh, in a car bomb that was meant for him. But she started the engine to come drive him. Uh, and there was uh, his one of his bodyguards had turned on him. There was a deleted scene in the bonus edition of, uh, of the anniversary edition of The Godfather Part 2 where that, uh, that bodyguard gets blown up in a in a in a car bomb outside of a pizzeria that he owns in New York. So he caught up to him eventually. He's informed that this is happening during uh the meeting with his sister and that that uh that that suitor guy that was with him the uh, Merle or whatever and she was asking for money to go around and she was ignoring the kids and shit. So it, uh, I I do like to uh, like I said I do like to think that that Tony would just ignore it by simply doing the research that that initial meeting, if it even happened, if it, sorry, if it were to happen, that in that initial meeting, he would have already concluded, I don't want to do any business with this person. I don't think business is something that they'd be doing. However, I do think there would be a business conversation. I think Tony Montana would make a compelling case as to why he should be doing business with a guy like uh, Tony Montana. Okay, hold on. Okay, I know you want to walk away, okay? But listen. Okay, hold on. Wait. Let me let me tell you something. Hold on a minute, you horse. Just a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. The thing is... Uh, he, would make, uh, he would make a good case, though. I could see it. You're right. I could see that. And he would dig deep. And he would be that guy to, to make himself vulnerable for that split second. And show Michael, okay, look, dude, I'm vulnerable. This is like, this is it. Like, like, let me show you, you know? I think he would do that. But then again, there's also, again, it seems like that we're back to the same scene again. The office scene after the banker leaves. And Manny is telling him, hey, forget this guy. I know this, this one uh, banker, accountant guy, and he'll give you X number of points off or whatever. His name is Cytobomb. That, that's where uh, Cytobomb... Side up, fucking side up, mom. And he said, uh, uh, and what was one of the things he said? He's like, oh, don't mob guys, guineas. I don't trust them. Which is so exactly. funny to hear Al Pacino saying that playing a Cuban. Right? <laughs> and so you know because I mean? he is the guinea. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He is the goomba mob guy that Absolutely. he doesn't trust in that film. Which I, I kind of felt like that was like a nod or an Easter egg. I, I know it had to be. It had to be a little. So they, they they knew what they were doing when they put that in the script. They had to. They they, they poked it. They poked it. Which which means that again. Having just having thought of that just now, maybe there is no business conversation because he doesn't want to work with any other organized crime. He wants to work with Cruz. I don't think he necessarily wants to go and work with the mob. 
it seems like he has an, uh, that whole don't trust him. We know he has an issue with Colombians. We've seen him act up on Colombians. As soon as he hears Colombians, he just the very notion of Colombians, he goes, he's so angry that he's quiet. So something must have happened to him involving Colombians at some point. Um, that's not really explained in the film, but we know he does not have a spot anywhere in his heart or any sympathy for Colombians. He seems to have that same general distrust of the of La Cosa Nostra. He has an issue with the Italian mob and its structure. I think that he knows that that would be one wave after another of war after war after war that would go on forever until he's dead. But that same logic didn't apply when he went up against Sosa, which leads right. me to believe that he's not afraid of hit squads, he's not afraid. On a one-on-one -on -one basis, I think Tony Montana takes fucking Michael Corleone every time. I think he I say I I agree one hundred percent. There's no fucking doubt about that. But in terms of everything else, fuck it. Tony stomps Michael. Tony curb stomps, beats or or stabs Michael Corleone to death every yeah, single time. In, in a in a scenario in which for some reason. Michael isn't surrounded by security. If he isn't on a compound that's heavily guarded with machine gunners and right. fucking guns, grenades, missiles, setting it off, ready to set it off at any time, guard dogs patrolling somewhere in the Sierra Mountains where you can shoot a motherfucker and nobody knows about it. I think Tony Montana stomps the shit out of Michael Corleone, we, we've seen Michael, a young Michael, handle himself. But even an in-your-prime Michael is not a very overly masculine guy. He's, oh. he's not, uh, he almost didn't, actually, side note, he almost didn't get the role. He, didn't, he almost didn't get the role because, well, they, yeah, they said, you're too short. You're too and you're too feminine. You're not masculine enough. They wanted James Can, who played Sonny, to yeah, play. That's right. Yeah, and uh, Robert De Niro was going for the role of Sonny, but that wouldn't have made any. I mean, can you really see James Can? No, definitely not. No, like I'm, I'm glad things worked out the way that they did. Like the gods made them happen the way that they did for a reason. So fucking, fucking a. Um, yeah, so so there's that. Uh, like I said, I think I think that uh, uh, on a one-on-one -on -one basis, Tony Montana takes him every fucking time. But now we have Tony's crew and what Tony is able to pull off against against Michael's institution, and it's literally a fucking institution because he's into the law firms. He's starting to reach out, branch out. He's got the casinos. He's got. Lots of dispense, disposable people that want to go and work for him. How do you think now this plays out? How uh, uh, who's, Who strikes first? We've seen in The Godfather, we've seen Michael Corleone has had experience yeah. in going up against, uh, he went up against the heroin dealer. Yeah. He, uh, against Salazzo, uh, yeah. who was being backed by the Tatalia family in the film. We've seen that he knows how to go and deal with that, but there there seemed to be more of a mutual respect and a business at stake when it came to Salazzo. Salazzo was the Tony Montana, more of an Italian Tony Montana than he was That's a Cuban right. one. Yeah, he was able to go and get most of the families on board with him selling with him selling his heroin in New York and distributing abroad. 
there was even a, there was even that discussion that Vito Corleone, Sonny, and Tom Hagen had about. Well, I uh, even the lawyer said, "Well, I say drugs. Yes, it's the way of the future. It's what everybody's getting into. And if we don't get into it, maybe one, maybe all of the other families will get into it. And lo and behold, that's what happened. Happened in real life. Happened in the film." So that's the extent of Michael's exchange with the streets was with Salazzo. And when we look at it, that's kind of one of the last times that we see him even kill anybody. We never see him murder anybody himself. I'm going to play this next bit uh, about how, but this is where I'm going to give Michael Corleone, I'm going to give Michael Corleone uh, a little extra credit boost. Uh, This clip here is a police profile a police um, psychological profile on how Michael Corleone is in fact a legitimate psychopath. Michael Corleone is the textbook example of a psychopath. Candace DeLong has been on the front lines of some of the FBI's most gripping cases, including being one of the three agents to carry out the manhunt for the Unabomber. We wanted her to analyze the biggest and baddest villains from Hollywood. This is Michael Corleone. A lot of people look at Michael Corleone as the classic example of a tragic hero, a romantic figure whose bad decisions ultimately led to his demise. A better definition is that Michael Corleone is the textbook example of a psychopath. When we first see Michael, he's just come back from the war, and he's very quick to show disgust for his family's affairs. He claims, that's not me. It's not me. But Michael doesn't know his true self yet. When people hear the word psychopath, they generally think of someone who's crazy, delusional, hearing voices, monster, like Norman Bates. But with Michael Corleone, we see a psychopath who's charming, calculating, and intelligent. When he thinks his father may be killed in the hospital, that's what lit the fuse to his psychopathy. A true psychopath, by definition, is not mentally ill. They have a personality disorder. Psychopaths are born, not made. And Michael Corleone always had it in him. Michael showed a total lack of empathy when he had dinner with the guy, looked him in the eyes, chatted, and then put a bullet in his head. The hallmark characteristic of a psychopath, they don't feel guilt when they do something wrong. This murder set Michael on a path to being at the top of the mafia food chain. I would argue that it showed him who he really was. He had it in him all along. You may be saying, how is he a psychopath if this is the first and only time we see him killing anyone? Right, he's no Patrick Bateman. Michael's a white-collar psychopath. He doesn't like to get his hands dirty. He gets other people to do his dirty work. He's a user and abuser of people. Michael's relationship with Kay tells us everything we need to know about his psychopathic tendencies. Michael only sees his relationship with Kay as a functionality for getting something that he needs, the image of a strong man with a devoted family. Does it feel like a boy? Yes, yes it does, Michael. It was simply all about image. The running theme is, it's business, not personal. Michael was only business. He treated her like a business. That's a psychopath. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to give Michael Corleone 
a little bit of psychopath credit because he can, like we said, keep himself composed. He can he can smile and nod if he has to. He will be calm and then he will go zero to a hundred in in a second. We know that he can kill. That kill was an opportunistic kill that brought him to the top of the food chain instantly. It was an instant to the top of the food chain move where his brother Sonny, who even got killed, was able to surpass, was able to surpass him. So now how do you think this goes in a full scale Tony goes to war with Don Cor- with uh, Michael Corleone? Really, to tell you the truth, I think. Well, wait, hold on. Is this uh, is this a Tony on on coke? I guess he kind of always was, wasn't he? It's hard to really, say, right? Like this is this this would be before the real downfall where it was too much. We'd be talking just after or just before the montage scene where it's that rise to power. We want to talk okay. about him in his in his prime and at Michael's prime. So Michael at the end of the Godfather Part Two. Tony yeah. before he couldn't even get his dick up. Okay, so I think um, Tony has the benefit of having Manolo with him um, Ooh, yeah. at that at that point. Uh, so that is his brother, plain and simple. Michael at this point has brothers, but doesn't really understand that it's it, it, like it's um it's not the same bond. I don't believe it's the same bond. I know it's Omerta, and I know that it. That it is its own thing and it's strong, but I don't believe that it was fully there. But I believe at this point, Tony and Manolo had something that was so strong that the two of them probably could have. Yeah, logically, they probably could have uh, went the distance. But uh, in terms of funding, I think uh, I think Michael Michael would have ended up just just about winning because he would have been able to fund the war to the bitter end. Plain and simple. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. Michael is definitely the smarter of the two. That's right. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely got the intelligence, and he's yeah. got the ability. He, like I said, he's got the funding. He's got the structure. We know that he has legal support. Yeah. He's got government support. If this is a guy that is having, he's having his child's first communion and confirmation and governors and senators and politicians are showing up he does that he surrounds himself that's that was what set that era mafia aside from now is they surround themselves with the politicians and these politicians sit on congressional intel committees they deal with the military they deal with the fbi they deal with the various branches of government and he's able to reach even further than he probably should be able to simply by having these proper proper associations tony can't do that no senator would want to be near anything to do with that guy you couldn't buy him out he even had a hard time Buying his way out of uh, buying his way out of a uh, uh, out of an exchange of dollars, where they were counting uh, where Cytobomb was the undercover. It turns out, and he's like, "All we're doing is exchanging bills." This is true. He is just exchanging. It's not counterfeit money, and there's no drugs present. He had a compelling case where, sure, he might have to do a little jail time, but. He could buy his way out of that. Michael Corleone could have done that. Michael Corleone never would have been caught. He never would have been at the scene counting money, 
counting money like like just penny for penny, let's count it again. No, he has somebody else go and do that. So the intelligence is there and the insulation is there. I do think, though, that there is a messy exchange uh, for these two reasons, is that Michael wins long term because he has people that will literally die for him. He has He has people that will... That there's nothing else to this life except the code and the, the 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 code that they follow, with the exception of being a part of the structure of the family. Yes. Tony is surrounded by Nick the pig. Yeah, yeah you know, hey, Nick, you want a job? Okay. Oh, thanks, Tony. <laughs> He's surrounded by... That was great. And then he takes, like, the biggest swig. Oh, yeah. It was... And it's rattling. It's just shaking and quivering while he's doing it. The thing is, is that Tony is surrounded by people that want to live, which makes his structure a little bit more weaker, but it makes them a little bit more daring. All I have to do is take out the... I think that Tony works his way through the lower echelon and chews through a lot of people. I think Tony goes and he chews through some foot soldiers. Uh, I think he chews through all of the associates. Uh, so if you look at the structure of the mob, you've got uh, the outsider, then you got the associate, then you have the soldato, la familia, that's the soldier. Then above that, you have an underboss. Above that, you've got a capo. Uh, and on the other side of that is the consigliere, who's the counsel to the dawn. Then you have the dawn. And a lot of times, uh, it's possible for somebody who's not a blood-related family member to become a part of that structure. It doesn't necessarily all have to be family, uh, but it's all, you'll be under the, the, I guess it's like a brand, you'll be under the umbrella of said family name. Which is why even to this day, we have members of the Bonanno family, or, or the Lucchese family, or the Genovese's. We have the Gambinos. The Gambino family is still around, but the head of the Gambino family is not a Gambino. You know, John Gotti was the head of the Gambino family. He's not a Gambino, but he's a Gambino. You know what I mean? Yeah, so when we have that, I think that Tony strategically goes and starts working... Uh, to pick off all of the small fish and he does it brazenly and he does it quick. But I think that he has a hard time locating anybody in the upper echelons. I don't think he comes close. I think he gets picked off before he get, even gets close to, uh, to Michael. But I'm thinking that there is something. I'm thinking that there is some point in which he is and he does successfully hurt Michael in some way. I I think that there's definitely a way that that Tony can figure out how to hurt Michael because even though Tony is aggressive, level 10, rage, uh, psychotic, I think there's not not the possibility that Michael would make a slip for Tony to necessarily find, but Tony would force something so brave I'm just not sure what it would be because <laughs> he's such a wild card what yeah, like, wild shit does he just do anything because he's that guy what wild shit would Tony Montana with more time in his prime and not distracted by too much drugs and too much alcohol and too much side puss 
what the all all of the vices that he was into what does he do that keeps what does he do to go and and go and mess with something to that level when we saw tony versus frank lopez it was a little bit different because they knew each other they had worked together for an extended period of time for several several months there was a lot of trust tony was a valued asset and Frank saw that and he viewed him as that way. The war between them, it's there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of posturing, but it's not until somebody really tries to cross the line with a hit that we see Tony in the same night <laughs> in the same night that he's gunned down comes back and takes over that spot and just doesn't go. It's almost as if though something clicked with him. And something also seems to kind of click with Michael, too. It's it's the imminent or impending death of his father that gets him to go from, I want nothing to do with this, to I'm here, I'm in, and I'm all in. And he essentially... You know what that is? You know what that is? That's instinct, bro. Yes. That's instinct right there. That's instinct from two different perspectives, from the streets and then from the books. Right? What is... Tony Montana's strategy. I'd like to give... Tony has Cuban military experience. I'd like to give him the... Be, and I mean, so does Michael. Michael was a Marine too. I'd like to give Tony Montana the benefit of the doubt that he's able to develop some type of an attack, an offensive strategy. Yeah. I think that he does do this. Just what is it? Because I don't think he gets close enough to Michael... To go and really get close. I don't think it comes down. It does not come down to a shootout between the two. It comes down to Tony being being gunned down somewhere, I think. Somewhere along his campaign. Yeah, you're right. I, I could see Tony dying in a hail of bullets and no other way. He always dies. <laughs> That's his destiny as a character to always go down. It's like Tony has to die with bullets, and they have it has to be multiple chest wounds. So, and th- and that's the other thing because that's not the mob style. That's where he that's gets it. the benefit. the The Colombian hit squad. Every time, it's a hail of gunfire. It's ah, <laughs> fucking light a place up, and and lob grenades. <laughs> The fucking sweaty, sweaty, a sweaty Mickey Mouse bandana around their fucking temple hair, a permanent teen stash, and just fucking, fucking, just blowing shit away with a fucking Uzi, a Tech Nine, and a fucking AK, whatever, uh, a Kalashnikov, whatever. that's that's smelling like old avocados. Yeah. Old, <laughs> old avocados and diesel. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that Calvin Klein could capture that shit. They should they should capture the spirit of the Scarface shootout scene. It's like, uh, here's our new scent. 1983. Yeah, here's our new scent. Musk 1983. <laughs> Leather and body odor. <laughs> If you smell real deep, you can fucking smell some coke. No, there's a little bit of coca. <laughs> uh, they told me to tell you there's uh, ice cream in the front. 
I think uh, I think you're you're ultimately right though. I think uh, Michael would get the best of Tony. There would be maybe Tony might land one good solid hit, but Michael hits back, and then on his second hit, he finalizes it, and that's it. It's over. Like it's a two hit thing. Tony gets one hit. That's it. I th- see. That's the fucking. And, and I'm a Scarface guy. And yeah, yeah. I want more for Tony, but I can't give him more because logically he cannot earn that. And so. and and I'm and I'm a Godfather guy, and I want to give Tony more than that. The re the, again the only reason is because again, wild shootouts is not the mob style at all. That yeah. is not the mafia style. They like their because the mafia established its dominance uh, by. Not just exerting force, but by exerting... I mean, most of their business was blackmail, was protection. Dominance. Yeah, it was, it was asserting, dominance. yeah, it was asserting dominance. Yeah, it was asserting dominance. without having somebody connect to them. Yeah, they'll, 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 send, they'll send a couple guys, give a beat down. You're going to pay us protection or else. Oh, no, he held out? Okay, put his head in the fucking oven. Uh, do something to his hand. Smash up the storefront. Now you leave... And you and some punk kids come in and do the exact same thing, but they were sent by that same family so that it's like there twice in one week. Do you want the protection or not? Yes. Okay, I'll pay. But when they go to war, even in war, they do the up close shit, the snub 38s up close bullet to the temple or to the back of the head or uh, um it's it's there's lots of it's kind of like what we saw in the uh, in the Godfather uh, the the final baptism scene where all the uh, the five fam- heads of the five families are all whacked. We see a lot of disguises, a lot of uh, throughout history that has happened both in real life and in film. One dresses up like a cop, uh, a, a, a hitman or a soldier or whatever. Um, Dresses up as a as a parking maid or a UPS delivery guy or a FedEx guy or some shit like that. They yeah. get up close like that, but it kind of seems like like what we said. I think Tony is destined to go down in a hail of gunfire. I don't think the UPS guy gets that close with a thirty eight. No, you're right. You're That's right. where I want to give Tony more of a benefit of the doubt. I don't think that a police officer pulls his car over and guns him down in Miami. I don't think that happens in New York. I don't even think that happens in I don't think that happens in Vegas. I don't think that even happens in Mexico. I don't think that he get the usual typical ways that Michael would execute somebody, whether that be to pay pay off a cop to do a hit, to pay off the feds for information, to simply find this person outside their home. That doesn't apply to Tony. Tony has a well-fortified fortress. It, I mean, it didn't really hold up, but the leadership wasn't there at the end. He was whacked out of his fucking mind. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure that, that that end scene, I just want to say this too, just to clarify. That end scene, if um, you keep those emotions there, all of those emotions are real. His sister, Manolo, like everything it built up, and he's in that room. I think if you subtract the coke... I think the outcome yes. is entirely different, my friend. I think so, I too. I think that hyena comes through and kills everybody. He withstands everything. Even the guy creeping up behind him, he knows because he's aware. 
the coke makes you unaware of everything and puts you in a godly state so unfortunately that substance right there was the ultimate downfall plain and simple the devil's dust 100 percent agreed he was also dealing with the grief of of himself losing his which was also he's the grief of losing manny what tips him over the edge is the death of gina but he's got his when he has that pile of drugs in front of him and he's dumping his face in it (laughs) just fucking sweating hands shaking oh what again what what acting oh i've got to get organized okay (laughs) at, at that point too i know as a viewer, I know it's coming to a close, but there's a piece of me that is cheering for him because I want you. Yes, to die we we wanted him to make it. We wanted you know? we wanted him to make it, and it's it's interesting because we mentioned the PlayStation Two Scarface the World is Yours game. In that scenario, you do survive by chance. He still has his shootout. the The game begins with that shootout. That's how the game begins. That's your tutorial is playing through that oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, uh, which which was really, it was on point if you if you throw in the hypothetical. He then goes and escapes through uh, uh, by rappelling down that rope that that one assassin used to climb up. And he wow. just kind of guns his way out of there. Uh, a part, uh, something that, that the Tony Mon- Montana character, which again was voiced over and likeness was given... Uh, by Al Pacino, he really did believe in that game, uh, and it was very entertaining for a PlayStation Two game. It was phenomenal. Um, he he says to himself, "He's like, I can't with the drugs anymore." He just he, he he agrees. He knows how what took him down. You hit the nail on the head when you said that it's the drugs that took him down that route. It fucked with his judgment so much. The paranoia, the the constant sweating, the paranoia, then the drinking. To kind of get a grip and then more stimulation. And on top of this, he has an excess. Yes, no. He has a wild excess of it. It's He broke rule number one that Frank fucking taught him. He broke that shit. And because he broke that shit, the fact that he didn't even listen to one rule of Frank's. Frank's rules weren't, they weren't outlandish. Don't get all, don't get all fucked up and high. You're in the drug game. You could go at any time, you know. Keep keep this shit in a business. I actually think Frank Lopez and Tony and uh, Michael Corleone would have more to do with each other than Tony Montana. But again, Michael wanted nothing to do with drugs. That was even even when he, uh, in part two and part three, they wanted yes, nothing yes. to they wanted nothing to do with drugs. So again, they wouldn't associate. But I think that there would be more of a likelihood that Frank Lopez and and Michael Corleone would work out. So now we come full circle back again. The mob won't do a Colombian style hit squad shootout. They probably won't do it, even though they do have people that they could bring in for that. Typically, the mob likes to bring in a couple of cousins from overseas. They bring in a couple of cousins, give them a, give them a couple of pieces. They find somebody at the grocery store, at the hardware store, gun them down. And leave. Drop the gun and leave the gun too. So that means that you're never going to go and find the pistol on these people. Sometimes even with their palm prints on it. So that they do the jail time and earn their stripes. It's insane. It's insane what the mob will do. They'll go and do something like that for up close hits. Going to an all out war is 
something that they've avoided since Prohibition era. That's what the commission, the the Five Families Commission in both the Godfather film and in real life, they created that commission to iron out and work out their problems because the wars during Prohibition era were so costly. You had people running around with 10, 20, 30 Tommy guns, uh, 50 people on the street driving up to a, a cafe or an ice cream parlor or a barber shop, driving by round after round after round, unloading clip after clip, barrel after barrel, just emptying the shit out of that. And innocent people died. It brought down the FBI. It brought down the National Guard. It brought down their political power. Uh, they didn't want all-out war. Going, I don't think even Tony Mont, uh, Michael Corleone, sorry, I don't think he's going to war. So we're once again now at a strategic stalemate. There's, yeah, there's no, I don't think the mob is pulling whacked out Colombian shootout. Do they just hire some other faction to go after Tony? Or does Tony just keep ripping through people until there is no choice but to have some sort of wild shootout? I could see uh, some sort of aspect where Michael can have somebody else handle Tony. That's it. Plain and simple. He he can have somebody on that level. He pays somebody on Tony's level to handle Tony. And I think that's all it is. It's just an unknown person that Tony's never, ever seen. It's just another Tony out there. And Michael finds that other Tony and puts him on Tony. That's a never-ending war right there. Maybe Tony survives that war and then realizes oh shit michael michael did this to me and then then he goes after michael you know what i mean like you know it, it fuels him more but michael is still like you know what i got this other thing in my back pocket you know what it's just uh i'm gonna just get ready fucking and i think legally michael would find a way to shut tony down legally without having to do any of that shit. Put him in jail for a long time. There we go. And then, and then having yeah. Tony sit in jail for fucking years doing hating the mob, being anti-mob, anti-Italian. Oh, I think he just gets killed. I think he just gets killed in jail. I think that's what ends up happening there. Right. That's He's, it. That's probably it. That's yeah. It. He he hung himself in his cell. I think that's how that. Because, uh, I mean, we as capable as Tony is, he is a little guy. And we do see him get easily manhandled by two skinny, scrawny Colombians. Yeah. So for a couple of buff, well-paid, you know, you bring in a whole prison unit. Uh, yeah, he was resisting. Uh, this kind of happened. They, they pull one of those things or he's, he's, whacked, uh, he's whacked out in jail somewhere. Unless he's under some sort of, some sort of uh, protective custody, that's the only yeah, way. Yeah, 24-hour surveillance and shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But by that time... In order to afford Tony Montana that, they would need to bring him up on all kinds of fucking charges. Which that we, you know, that's a good way of looking at it. I didn't even think of that. Uh, maybe, I, maybe there's some RICO charges stemming there, so they, there's a possibility of stretching his life out. You know, there's definitely a RICO. There's definitely a RICO charge for his entire crew. Maybe, Absolutely. maybe Michael gets in by paying off or buying out one of Tony's crew. He treats Nick the pig like shit. Oh, you know what? That motherfucker would jump ship to any fucking day. Any day. Which I hate to think because, well, I mean, he got he got whacked pretty... 
fucking wild in the pool there. But yeah. I don't know. They they all seem genuinely concerned about about Tony's well being. Yeah. I think once again it's because they like their life. They like yeah. rolling in nice cars. They like their security. They're basically security detail on steroids. Yeah. And they have access to all kinds of shit. And that lifestyle is there. But I'm I'm just I'm wondering, is it Nick the Pig that's bought out? Is it, uh, oh, fuck, who is the little guy there? Remember the little guy with the little hat all the time? He's banging on oh, the door. Hey, no, Tony, coño, come on, Tony. <laughs> fucking oh, little fucking, bitch. Oh, shit. Yeah, we know who we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. No, Tony, open the fucking door, man. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's a chihu- it was a chihuahua, man. That's all that there was. It was the Taco Bell chihuahua. Yeah, is it? I'm, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking that 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 is how that war comes to a close. Then is it's got to be one side or the other is able to buy something out. I think that on the lower echelon, Tony uh, Tony is able to infiltrate or get close to Mike by buying out associates. Because I mean, on the lower level of things, those little guys, the small fry, anybody can be. Yes, even if you are associated with the with the mob, or you're you're all, you're a street wise guy, all you have to do is be like, listen, here's this. This is how much money you can make working for me. All I'm asking is for access to this person. It's not even Michael. They just need to get close. Uh, if you look at how Hyman Roth played it in The Godfather Part Two, there was actually uh, in the uh, the book. Uh, Mario Puzo's The Godfather there was a little bit of uh, it alluded to an instance that took place with Fredo which goes to show that the family is that the family is uh, it's not impregnable you can get in there's ways in so the story of Fredo is kind of sad actually Uh, all of the boys of course they all came up in the Catholics uh, uh, you know in uh, uh, Catholic churches um, there was a boys kind of a Sunday school church camp in the in Mario Puzo's novel, uh, and what ends up happening in both uh, and they cover this in both uh, the Sicilian Mario Puzo's the Sicilian and in Mario Puzo's The Godfather, uh, Fredo is taken fishing uh, on this camping trip with a couple of other boys, uh, and their parish their parish priest goes out with them onto the water and teaches him how to catch a fish every single time by saying the Hail Marys. As you say, a Hail Mary before you cast every single time and you'll get a fish. We see that same method. Fredo is trying to teach Anthony Jr. uh, Sorry, Anthony uh, Corleone, Michael's son, at the end of The Godfather Part 2. He says, uh, "This this is how I catch a fish every single time. Now, in the novels... On this fishing trip, while he's casting his line, saying a Hail Mary, the parish priest sexually molests him. On the boat. On the boat and on the shore. That was a secret. The family didn't even know about it because that was those days. This information somehow was made aware to Hyman Roth, who was able to go and orchestrate the hit on Michael to find out when and where he'd be. Yeah. 
which is how I'm thinking this is how Tony gets in, is by some sort of information by gaining access to people. Yes, yeah, so Fredo, after the, the events of The Godfather Part 1, he leaves the casino business because he sucks at it. He's drinking too much. He's, he's banging cocktail waitresses left and right. The customers couldn't get a drink. So he leaves the casino business and he finds himself in San Francisco where he comes across Hyman Roth's, uh, Hyman Roth's um, protege and cohort out there. I forget the, the name of him. It was a young Dominic Canese that actually played him in The Godfather Part Two. Uh, but it, but it was yes. Yeah, so uh, he meets him out there, and they they engage in in some homosexual activity. Fredo and uh, and this uh, this guy working for Hyman Roth, they use that information there to blackmail Fredo into giving up his brother. That's how they accessed all that, and the events of The Godfather Part Two come to fruition. We know Fredo is dead at the time that we want to go and have our hypothetical between Tony uh, and Michael. But is it a weakness in the family? Is it a weakness somewhere in his structure? Somebody gets bought out. Somebody gets paid up to get me close. And I think that's where Tony makes his strike and does his damage. And on the other side of things, Michael plays that hand right back. Yeah. Michael plays, fights fire with fire, and uses money, wealth. I think that your strategy, I think that your strategy of utilizing his legal assets works, but there's definitely damage to be done. I think there's definitely damage to be done. Sure. Uppercut to the Gut Podcast. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook page. Tell us what you think. How? Who do you think wins? How does that work? What? Do, what? What? What comes to be of all this?
Why? We don't have to come. Are they throwing us out? Are the police here? So let's move on. Hi, I'm Al Pacino, if you didn't notice. And I'm gonna talk about a few of my films. I was walking down Sunset Boulevard. I happened to be in LA, which I was rarely in LA, but I was there. I don't know why. Usually it's because I was, I knew somebody that I was with and I saw the marquee, it said Scarface, Paul Muni. And I thought, you know, I heard a lot about that film my whole life. And I knew that Bertolt Brecht loved that, the gangster movies of the 30s, the American gangster movies. And he wrote this great play that I had been doing, Artur Uri. And growing up, I had heard about George Raft and, and Paul Muni and Scarface. It's my fault. I shouldn't have come. What's the difference? Your fault. My fault. Just so she's here, that's all what matters. Here, you load them, huh? Sure, I'll load them. I'm not afraid. I'm like you, Tommy. That's the way to talk. You're not afraid. Huh? Come on, we're strong. Here, here. Here, put it there, Jessica. Put it right here. And I went to see it with several friends in the Tiffany movie house, and I saw it up there, and this guy, Paul Muni, was inspiring to watch. I, I just wanted to imitate him. You wanna f with me? Okay. Wanna flag us? Okay. Have a night with you. Come on. Okay. Do you wanna play rough? Okay. Oh, no. Say hello to my little friend! That's the only thing I thought of was imitating Paul Muni. You never know where you're gonna get inspired. You never know where it's gonna come, what it comes from. And you sort of don't even know when it'll happen. You only hope for it to happen. It's like, you know, sometimes you're somewhere seeing a play and something comes to you. And very much like, I guess, anybody who does this stuff, whether it's writing, directing, whatever, painting, something gets you there. You, but you have a technique, you have a craft, and you go through your life uh, doing that, as, learning that as, as much as you can. But the problem is, you, you really, really, in a sense, need the craft when you get inspired. As soon as Lamette got involved and talked about making it Cuban and all that, and all of a sudden that came in and the characters started to come to me through a lot of things. I, there was, I modeled them after a few things. One was Roberto Duran. I was inspired by R Roberto Duran, the, the fighter. There was something about his fire and his, his thing that was caught me, but it was a combination of him, the actual Paul Muni, and my own sense of, my own need to express something in it. I, I really felt as though that was expressing the sense of the underbelly of our, of our world and in a certain way, in a more flamboyant way. Well, the most difficult part of Godfather was once Francis wanted me in the film, nobody else did. Paramount didn't want me. So uh, that was a very difficult time. More for Francis, I remember, since it was, I didn't know what I was getting into, and I knew that I knew Francis 
from before he saw me on Broadway in a play, and he, he always sort of took an interest in me and asked me to come to San Francisco because he had a film, and he was living in San Francisco with Zotro, with Spielberg and Lucas and all these guys I met when they were young, you know, and so I knew he was, they were doing something together, and, and it, it, it was a real group there. The Warner Brothers didn't want me in the party, and they didn't want the film or anything, so I never heard from him. And a year later, I got a call, and he said, um, I'm doing The Godfather, which was the biggest book around. You know, I'd read the book, and I thought, you know, is he awake? Is he, or he's talking from some dream. <laughs> How's he going to do The Godfather? But I did think when I heard it, I thought, you know, Paramount's pretty smart. If they use him, if he's telling the truth, that's a good, that's a smart move. Because I knew how great he was. I could, I could tell you that. I could feel it. So, and then he wanted me, and they didn't want me. And there was a series of tests at me. Then we wanted, finally got to shoot. They accepted because Jerry Schatzberg, my great friend and director, gave him eight minutes from Panic in Needle Park. <laughs> I was the Babe Ruth of West 81st. That's right. I hit that ball. I hit the ball on the roof one time, right? I went up to get it. There was this crap game going on, right? I won $79 before my next turn at bat. Huh? I'm the greatest! And when they saw the footage, they hired me. And then when I got on the thing, they were going to fire me. About two weeks into it, they, they didn't care for what they were seeing. Francis said, listen, you know, I believe in you and all this, but you got to take a look at the footage. So I went to the Paramount building and looked at the footage because I knew this is it. My job is over now. And I watched the footage, which uh, I didn't think was good or great or anything, but it wasn't really bad because it was what I was thinking about in this role. I had given a lot of thought to this part because she had to. It's a certain kind of role. And I thought... The power of the role was in the transition from this kid you don't quite know who he is, where he's going, and then before you know it, he becomes this uh, leader and without, without a tracking it. So I like that, that I would help create a kind of enigmatic uh, person. Where does it say that you can't kill a cop? Come on, Mikey. Tom, wait a minute. I'm talking about a cop that's mixed up in drugs. I'm talking about a, a, a dishonest cop, a crooked cop who got mixed up in the rackets and got what was coming to him. That's a terrific story. And we have newspaper people on the payroll, don't we, Tom? They might like a story like that. They might. They just might. It's not personal, Sonny. It's strictly business. What was more of a struggle was living afterward with the aura of that. It had its that toll in it. And then there was even a strong uh, one with The Godfather 2. I thought that was where uh, that character, being that character for, you know, these are three-hour films. In those days, they took long, year-long shoots. So I sort of had a, an effect on me in my life for a while. And now, in the news, this shit is really happening, can you believe it? 
In the news, New York Governor Cuomo has officially resigned this past week amid his ongoing sexual harassment allegations. That's right, allegations. No charges, no trial, but rather resignation by pressuring from many even in his own party, including President Biden. Of course, not one raging GOP member has come forward in Governor Cuomo's defense, rallying against cancel culture as you often find the Republicans foaming at the mouth over. In world news, does anyone really recall the 2020 Tokyo Olympic results? I sure don't. Fuck that. We want a gold medal in trolling you pieces of shit that believe in loud people screaming all day. 12 Days to Rule a Nation will be the name of the film they'll one day end up making when referring to the fast reoccupation of Afghanistan by radical Islamic organization, the Taliban. As the US made good on its promise to finally pull out of Afghanistan after 20 years of occupation and rebuild, the moment they could no longer see America's star-spangled ass, the Taliban swiftly moved in to take a shit on their own people as fast as possible. They achieved this by reinstituting Sharia law and mandatory execution orders for the previously run democratically elected government. The de facto leader of the Taliban made this statement shortly after the takeover. Because, dude, we won the my fucking dad, day. We fucking won. How do we win? Dude, if they don't uphold the Constitution, then we will remove them from office one way or another. Okay. Um, all I can say is uh, we won the fucking day. Donald Trump is still our president. A lot of people doubted uh, a lot of prophets, saints, and sages. A lot of people doubted Christ, you know? Oh, our apologies. That was not the Taliban leader, that was the January 6th Capitol Hill riot footage. Please understand if we don't see the difference. WWE superstar CM Punk made an epic return to pro wrestling in the kick-ass AEW. The Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine was finally fully approved by the FDA, and OnlyFans has made a move to ban all sex and explicit content, leaving sluts and hoes with nowhere to go. A-O-A-O, hoes, y'all gotta go. In weather and abnormal disasters coming to a tectonic plate near you, Haiti was rocked yet again with an extraordinarily powerful 7.2 magnitude earthquake, only to be hit, only later to be hit with a tropical storm. Haitian-born singer and New York rapper Wyclef Jean was nowhere to be seen, helping out on the island. Apparently, he's gone till November. HBO's Gen Z Odyssey and Snowflake Extravaganza series Betty is officially cancelled, making us wonder if they just weren't woke enough for your delicate sensibilities, or if the show didn't just suck balls and wasn't relatable as a result, didn't click with America. Do you need a loan this year? Well, don't get one. That's it. That's, that's the report. Don't get a fucking loan. That's it. That's the story. There's, there's nothing else there. And that was in the news.